Welcome back to the, what month is this, March? March. I March. got it. I got it. March 2013 episode of Behind the DM Screen. Dun, dun, dun. That's right. It's so dramatic. Uh, so, this is Behind the DM Screen. It is three DMs, Mike, Randall, and myself. I'm Jeff, and we talk about our games and help each other make them awesomer. Um, is awesomer a word? Uh... I believe I do we, said. Do we have this discussion before? I believe I said awesomer. Ugh. Let's get it right. <laughs> if it's not a word, it is now. When I make up words, <laughs> I go all out. I guess. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of going all out, first on our agenda is Mike. Go! Yay! Wow, already. Uh, so I have. Hang, oh, I don't have a timer. Someone's going to have to time me. I'll set the timer. Look at, okay. How set long do you get? 20 minutes. 20 uh, minutes. Four, 40 minutes. 15 minutes got it oh so i have three games to discuss uh i'm looking at my sticky note with my notes on them here uh i have the end of the lazar principalities mini campaign that i did which was using DD next uh i have my one shot dungeon world game which i ran um i guess a week ago and then a my upcoming pathfinder game that i'm going to be starting next week uh, which of those interest you guys the most? Yes. All of them? Let's hit them all. So um, in my Lazar Principalities campaign, if you recall, uh, I, I mashed up some Eberron with uh, the um, uh, Isle of Dread. Mm-hmm. And, and D&D Next. Yeah, Isle of Dread, D&D Next, Eberron, and uh, Scourge of the Slave Lords, uh, the, the mm-hmm. Slave Pits of Undercity adventure. So they cleaned out the, the last time we had seen our, our heroes, they had um, captured the head of the slave lord, that slave lord faction, and found out that he was actually hired by the principality that had sent the players off to discover them in the first place, causing a great twist and turn. So the party didn't know exactly what was happening. And in preparation for the finale of the adventure, I wasn't sure if it was going to be one session or two. It ended up being one. I didn't spend any time plotting what the group was going to do. I simply figured out who all the characters were that they might interact with and what had happened to them. So it mainly focused on, uh, what was his name? Prince Kolberkhan, the head of the Dire Shark Principalities, and him getting a message from the other three remaining slave lords saying, hey, those guys you sent out figured you out. You better you better figure out what you're going to do. Did you say Lord Kai? Kolberkhan is his name. Don't ask <laughs> me. Call, call Keith Baker. No, I like, I, I like my name better. You're going to have Keith Baker on. You can talk to him all day long about where the hell Kolberkhan came from. But I, I, I like Kai. I stuck to canon. Kolberkai, yeah. <laughs> Everyone just called him Prince Cobra Commander, and that worked that works too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so they went back. They got attacked by so Cobra Khan. Um, you know, again, I kind of focused it from what's he going to do. Well, he had one second in command who hated slaves and hated hated slavery. So he said, oh, I don't want him anywhere near here because he might just kill me if he finds out that I've actually been behind some of the slave trading stuff. So he sent him off and away. Uh, another principality had started to figure out what's going on through their spy master who was in town. So he called back to uh, his principality and had some warships two days away. And uh, then Cobra Khan's put out some war mages on a boat to go hunt down the party before they got to shore. Uh, the only battle of the night was them fighting these six war mages. And uh, 
they were victorious, but they got fireballed a whole bunch of times. <laughs> so, um, so the, so I had no idea where it was going to go. I had no idea what direction the players were going to take. Are they going to do a frontal assault on the town? Were they going to try to sneak in? And they, they kind of try to, you know, they all discussed it and they're like, I don't know, should we just dock? You know, we own the boat. We could just dock right there and go on in. And they're like, well, maybe we should dock, you know, upshore and then come in on the beach. And they're like, well, we could also kind of go through those catacombs that we cleaned out the last time we were here. So there was a lot of like interesting ways they were going to go. And I was just going to kind of ad lib as they went. Well, they ended up like capturing a member or they, they captured the head of those war wizards who then brought them straight to Colbercon and figuring that um, uh, I forget exactly what their what their reasoning, what his reasoning was. He had a reason to bring him to Colbercon. So they confronted Colbercon who said, look, I just want to get out of town. Like I give up, you know, I'm not going to try to fight you guys. And I just want to leave. And the group said, okay, you're gone. And then the other principality came in and said, we'd like to take over since there's this whole merchant, you know, merchant ship business going on. And the group's like, okay, but we want to be the sheriff of the town. And they're like, okay, you're sheriff. So, so there was this, all this kind of interesting little plots that occurred in this final, final thing. And none of it, I had no idea where any of it was going to go when we sat down. Um, the group seemed to enjoy it. They they were happy where it ended. They all we tied off a whole bunch of the the players' threads, and um, I think the only problem with it is there was one battle, and they they kind of wanted more battles, but it, the the story just didn't head that way. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of an interesting problem that I have with this group is they really like combat, and the more open ended I run it, there are many times where they don't necessarily seek the combat option and then are upset that they didn't get into combat. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a hard that's a hard thing for me to deal with. Um, it was fun. I really liked doing D and D next. The final one we used a uh, friends and family playtest that had just come out. Mm-hmm. So they rewrote their characters and then had one battle <laughs> for one that, for one fight, and they weren't real happy about that. And it was level they were level seven at the time. Mm. Um, at that point, we said, okay, what do we want to do next? We put a bunch of options on the table, and uh, they all said we want to try something other than D&D next for a little while. We want it to solidify a little bit more before we go back. Well, that's funny because because my group had, has had uh, – I mean we had the same same issue early on because in the early friends and family playtest before, right. before it went public. And right. we kind of we got sick of it and said, well, we're going to leave it alone for a while. Right. And and we feel like it's really solid right now compared to what we were doing before. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so. we- a lot of nerfs like we had a lot of people who got a bunch of stuff and then they they kept changing the numbers around so like um uh you know the the and this is all in the public play test they the they had heavily inflated a lot of the power a lot of the fighter and melee abilities Mm -hmm. and then they're still tweaking the numbers on those so people feel like wow i had all these expertise dice and now i don't have those expertise dice anymore yeah things keep changing yeah, so things they they just they they kind of said you know, and I kind of feel the same way. Like I didn't, I I have not bothered to learn the rules. Because sure. <laughs> why would I spend any time on it? Um, which is actually one of the reasons that that we all kind of thought you know let's we haven't ever really tried Pathfinder. Those of us who played mm-hmm. three point five played it in five years or more. Uh, why don't we do a mini campaign in that? I and mean, there's not a big commitment. And, Absolutely. And, Right out. So that's well, and I, f- I feel like probably by the end of our return to the Temple of Element- Elemental Evil game, we're going to be in the same boat, right? We're going to be ready to have something a little more stable for a while. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that there'll be a there'll be a point where the it, next will be a little bit more solid. Mm-hmm. And when I when I was big into EverQuest, uh, I used to play the betas of EverQuest a lot, and I realized that I actually didn't enjoy playing the betas because I didn't enjoy seeing the game in an unfinished state. Mm-hmm. 
I start. I feel a little bit like that now. Like I'm happy to help the play test. I think I think that what they're making is great. I really like it, and and I can't wait till it's a, a book on my desk. But I'm also ki- a little bit tired of being a guinea pig. Um, sure. You know, no one's fault but my own. You know, but my whole group kind of feels like, yeah, we tried it, we like it. You know, some let's, people, give, let's give it some time. Let's give it some time, and let's let's try something that's actually got a, a physical book. Mm-hmm. Now, this one doesn't have a physical book, but I really wanted to try Dungeon World out. I don't know if you guys have you guys heard much about Dungeon World. Heard about it, oh, never played. Yeah, it. Same, same boat. I've heard. I, I know a little bit, very little about it. Yes, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give a whole history. People can. People can look it up. Um, and you, you jackasses can look it up. But the um, <laughs> it's, it's meant to be. I don't want to. I don't. I guess it's not quite a rules light, but it's certainly a narrative focused version of D and D. And and with a with a heavy you know, heavy focus on inner character relation relations and, uh, uh, very simple character generation. And those all proved to be true. Um, we, we did a one shot adventure. I'm actually going to be running it at DC game day this coming weekend. And I wanted a, I wanted a test group, uh, with, you know, somebody before I play with a bunch of strangers. So I, I picked my, my friends, uh, to run it with. And, uh, I used the adventure, uh, against the cult of the reptile God. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Yeah, you guys are familiar with that. So that was my base for it. And the way Dungeon World treats modules is everything is kind of very loosely defined. So you don't really have a dungeon with floor plan. You kind of have general things going on in a dungeon, and then the players will get involved in those things. But there's not necessarily this set kind of hallways and rooms and everything. It's, 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 it's somewhat abstract in the way it treats it. And, and I found that to be true when I run it. Um, so dungeon world is, you know, uh, uh, it's a six attribute system and, uh, the primary mechanic are these things called moves and moves kind of feel like powers in fourth edition. Uh, you know, there are these kind of defined blocks of things that you can do. And the hard part for me was figuring out that those moves are the only things that you can do. Uh, you don't have general attribute checks. You don't have a skill list. You have those moves, and everything goes against those moves. And it took me playing an entire session before I kind of figured out how that works. Mm. And my group, unfortunately, because I, we were kind of figuring it out while we were going, they kind of gave up and said, you know, they, they really had a good time at the game. But they're like, mechanically, I just don't, I don't really like it. I feel like it's, a, it's supposed to be like a very open-ended story-based game, but then everything has to fall into one of these moves. Mm. And, and that that was a little that was a little tricky for us to figure out. And I think I got a better handle on it, that there's certain moves that are just, you know, heavily used. Like there's a move called Defy Danger that everybody has. It's like it's called a basic move. And Defy Danger is basically any time you're putting yourself in a situation that's dangerous and you can use any of the attributes as your as your role. And the uh, uh, hit or miss is, you know, whether or not you succeed or whether you are, you face whatever danger you face. So if you're climbing a slippery rope and there's, you know, a spiked pit underneath you defy danger is what you would roll. Um, but I, I felt like, well, you know, it's kind of funny that it all comes down to basically this one move that you use all the time. Now, some of the interesting stuff about it though, is that, uh, monsters don't have turns. Only players have turns Mm -hmm. and, and the DM never rolls dice. Only the players ever roll dice. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of having a success or fail on a d20, you roll 2d6, and there's ranges of numbers. I think it's uh, uh, zero or 2 to 6, 7 to 9, and 10 plus, the three ranges. And 7 to 9 is a uh, success with a consequence, and then you know fail and then succeed. 
And uh, if you are defending yourself against a monster, you would actually like roll, roll defy danger. Or you might say, I'm attacking the monster with my, you know, sla- hack and slash. And you would roll a hack and slash. And if you roll a six or under, including your attribute modifier, then you are hit by the monster. Hmm. So oh, okay. it makes it interesting, like how turns work. There's also no initiative at all. The DM just picks the next player to go. So is there also no scaling? Like it never gets harder and never gets easier? Uh, there are there. It does get harder. Like there are levels in. It. There's ten levels. And gain like one attribute point level. So it's very flat. And monsters can certainly get harder, but it's not unheard of for a group of level ones to be able to defeat a pretty hard monster. All right. I mean, because your roll, it either hits or misses or hits hits with a consequence, right? Uh, well, you can hit and, and hit without a consequence, or you can hit with a consequence, or you can miss. But, well, so monsters scale differently. Like, monsters have hit points, but the hit points are not, the range isn't real high. But armor, th- there's still armor in it, and armor actually reduces damage rather than mm-hmm. reduce chance to hit. So a high armor creature is going to be much harder to defeat because so much is absorbed by its armor. Mm-hmm. That Sounds make- like Traveler a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different kind of, you know, mechanics, that little bits of pieces that they take from other games. One thing I really like about it is because there's no initiative system and because the DM basically calls on the next player, just however they choose, uh, you can constantly be drawing in the most distracted player you have. So if you're looking at your table and you're in the middle of this situation, you just look for who's ever bored and they go next. And (laughs) And the advantage of that, it, the disadvantage is there are some people who who want to be bored. Like they they want to work on their cell phone for a little bit. They want to take a break, and they're used to taking a break in four E, where you have like forty five minutes around. Being able to, so if you're pulling them in, they're like, well, like I had a guy, you know, who's who is used to kind of being focused when it's his turn and then not, and he was like on his phone, and I called on him so quickly, and he's like, well, oh, you know, he like dropped the phone. <laughs> And so, I mean, you know, you don't do it all the time, but it, it's an opportunity to kind of say, so-and-so is looking like they're not quite as engaged. I'm going to engage them. Mm-hmm. And and you still try to make sure that everybody has a spot. So, like, I had a lot of players. I think you're not you're not really supposed to have more than, like, three to five players. Mm. I had six. So I always, like, there were points where I'm like, who hasn't gone in a little bit? And somebody would say, well, I haven't done anything recently. You'd go, okay, you're up. You can also split the party very easily and not have that turn into a major logistical problem sure um so there's lots of interesting things in it but overall my group was pretty well done with it after the first run they were they they said yeah you know it was fun and then we had a lot of laughs and there was like one major scene and it was right in the center of it and that major scene was i thought quite funny i mean my group is all a bunch of you know yuck yuck guys anyway so they it was they really kind of hammed it up and i was hamming it up and this the scene was just officers you know jumping on tables and all sorts of stuff so it was a lot of fun, and I and I really want to love this game. So I'm hoping that I'm going to be running it twice more, once for D&D, for, for uh, DC Game Day and then once for another group of friends that I've got. And I'm hoping that I'll figure it out more, and this will be kind of a, a side RPG I'll keep on hand uh, to do one-shots and things like that. Is there any application, Mike, in using it in um, certain scenes in your regular D&D game for certain types of applications? So there, there are probably two things I think fit very well, and one is that idea of of using using skill checks and as especially like perception and knowledge checks mm-hmm. as a way to draw in distracted players. 
um, I do this anyway, and, and I've done it in 4E, that while, I, while if there's one person that's having trouble kind of figuring out what they're going to do or it's been a while since someone's gone, I'll have that person do skill checks off turn mm-hmm. while the main person is choosing. And the only problem with that is sometimes that distracts the main person even more because they want to hear what the skill check comes up with. So that oh, okay. But if you can if you can firewall those off a little bit and kind of say, you know, hey, go, you know, roll a roll an arcana check for me. You know, it's just, you're picking up some weird magical vibe. Roll an arcana check. You know, hey, Susan, don't worry. Keep going. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's that factor, which dungeon worldy sort of feeling. Um, the other thing is. Um, uh, oh, God. I just had one. Uh, well, so there, there's one big one, and actually Mike Merles brought this up. He said that reading Dungeon World changed how he thinks about DMing, and it and it's a little bit of a lazy Dungeon Master thing. Is that they don't they don't they don't have stories and plots. They have fronts, and a front is kind of you know the, the sort of thing I've talked about in Lazy Dungeon Master, and the thing I was just talking about the principalities. A front is a a a, a general threat to the world that's moving down a path that may or may not run into the PCs. It is it is not a story that you're building around the PCs. So okay. an example of a front is Zastam is building a massive undead army to take over, you know, Faroon. Right. And, and he's got maybe three or four different plots that are going on. And those are going on anyway. Right. Like it doesn't matter if the party's going stop them. They're moving forward. And so that's that's this concept of a front. And you might have like three of them. So in my cult of the reptile god, it's like one front are the cultists themselves and then another front are the troglodytes. You know, and then there might be the third front, which is the Naga, who's got both of those fronts moving forward. Well, they're they're taking over the city or the town, and they're doing it regardless of whether the PCs, stop them, you know, or regardless of whether the PCs are there or not. They're mm-hmm. going to down that way, and it's up to the PCs to route that front a different direction. Um, you know, so that's so that's certainly another another way to kind of dungeon world in a uh, in a regular game. Sure. Cool. I liked it. So next is is Pathfinder. And like I said, we wanted to kind of do something that where we weren't real, you know, a mini campaign where we're not just jumping in full bore. And I thought that was a great idea. And then I bought 36 Pathfinder books. <laughs> uh, you know, it's one of these where like I hadn't paid any attention to Pathfinder at all. Right. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever played it. And um, but I played a lot of 3.5 and I know that it's relatively similar. Right. And I started looking at like a lot of the books they have and thinking about what I wanted to do. And it's like, well, I got to buy the core books. So I've got one of those. And I like the beastery because I, I like any monster books. I'm going to buy that. And then I was like, I must buy the dungeon. Master guide. And I'm really glad I did because the dungeon master guide for Pathfinder has some of the best like random charts in it that I've seen for, you know, all kinds of things. So it's a very good lazy DM sort of. <laughs> And um, and then I started buying like I'm like I've got to get the city guide so I get the city guide and then you know Michelle wants the advanced players guide so I'll buy that and then you know so next thing I know I've got this giant stack of Pathfinder books and I haven't run one game yet <laughs> so I'm really hoping it's good and uh, but the but the quality of the books is fantastic I mean oh, these yeah. really I don't know if you guys have seen them at all I mean I've I've seen them I don't have, I don't own any of them but I've seen them yeah, we used to cover Pathfinder in the early days here and then I before I figured out that I couldn't keep up with both. Right, right. And I don't, you know, I'm kind of doing it as a as a side thing, but just you know, I mean the 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 quality of it is just really high, but it's but it's so rules heavy. Like the the core rule book is like 450, you know, sidewalk. You know, it's just massive. So I'm a little worried that it's really going against, you know, kind of the simple sort of systems we're seeing these days. Um, well, I've heard the basic set is really good to get. If you get the box set, that's almost all you need. 
Yeah, I have that already, and I probably could have gotten away with it. But I think it's only got four classes in my group. My group is really like, I don't want to play a mage or a fighter. I want to play an oracle and a swashbuckler. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> they need weird stuff, which is why I, you know, the advanced player's guide was something I, I, was, I had to throw in or they were going to revolt. And I think like half the group are picking strange you know, strange classes because it played next for a while. A lot of basic classes and they want to try something a little different. Sure. So that's, what's next for me. And, and what is it a homebrew adventure? Is it sandbox? Is it lazy DM style? Are you pulling one of the great pathfinder modules or what, how are you doing that? So I, I bought the, uh, another one of the books was the, um, uh, what's their giant, campaign setting that they had or the giant series of adventures that they had that first came out well they they do is that the galarian stuff or oh, whatever galarian's the setting it's, but the, there's a they, they just put out a, a a single giant book that has like six adventures with the material uh rise of the rune lords lord so i picked up that i already had that because i thought that would just be good for maps and stuff mm-hmm and I already picked that up, um, and I'm going to use stuff from that. But I, I wanted them to be set in Magnamar, which is a, a city on the western coast of the main continent. Oh, okay. I'll just finish my thought. Yeah. So I'm setting up Magnamar, and uh, I am using stuff from adventures, but I'm certainly not running an adventure. Like I'm going to give them three or four different potential paths they want to go. I'm going to focus on NPCs. And I'm going to kind of make it up as I go, and I'll just steal stuff from these these areas. So I kind of just filling my head with a soup of these published things, and then I'm going to let them go forward. So that's my plan for running it. Right on. Did you have you did you listen? Have we published the episode we did with James Wyatt? I don't James. know if we have, <clears throat> but we we uh, did an advice episode with James Wyatt that I think will be coming out shortly. Um, and he talked a little bit about his um next campaign that he was doing uh, and I, I may have ta- told you a little bit about it because he was doing it at, at con- the convention here last fall mm-hmm. and the, the idea was he he just showed up with a stack of you know five or six first edition modules I had heard about this yeah yeah and so he just sort of set them all out and, and, and drew up a map and said okay here's the town and all these other places you know the temple of elemental evil is over there and you know the you know, this place is over there and that place is over there. And, and it was just sort of, you know, all these classic modules all happen to be around this one town. Right. Um, and so, uh, and then, you know, people could go and do what they wanted. He made it very dynamic. And, you know, one group would go to this one place and then the next group would hear stories about the adventures that went there. And if they went there, a lot of the stuff would already be cleared, but then there'd also be things changed from what the first group did, <clears throat> you know? And so you could sort of do something like that, right? Where you, you take a, several of the adventure paths that, that Paizo's put together and said, yeah, so these are the things going on. You go ahead and, and interact where, where and how you want, you know? Yeah, and actually, so that, that's perfect because that's exactly, that's exactly uh, what I did. I bought the, shattered, the first of the Shattered Star Adventures, uh, which is a whole separate campaign path that's actually set after uh, the Rise of the Rune Lords one. But I'm, mm-hmm. just, you know, I'll just have them perfect, you know, just, just in parallel. And, um, and my, yeah, and, it, and I want, you know, my main thing was I want Magnamar to be the hub. And then I bought like there's a another one that's like dungeons, the lost dungeons of Galarian or whatever, and it's got a nearby dungeon that's that's just north of Magnamar. So between like all these things, there's a ton of different ways they can go. You know, mm-hmm. tons of dungeons. And then the the question is, how much dungeon delving do they want to do? Sure. Or do they do they want to do some kind of political intrigue in the town? 
so that's where I'm kind of doing the 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 the, the dungeon world front ideas. Well. I'm going to have okay, here's this cult, and here's this group, and here's this group, and they're all working towards different things, and they're all going to, you know, figure it out. And then I also don't want to think about it too much because when they come with their characters, I want to get some ideas from what they did with their characters. Sure. So I'm done. All right. Uh, Randall. Thought I was. Yeah. Actually- you are up. Well. Pour out a bag of D20s on the corner because mm-hmm. the Riven campaign is dead. Oh. Um, or at least on indefinite hiatus, which is about the same as killing it anyway. But Usually, I'm always yeah. an yeah, but I'm an eternal optimist. So <laughs> at some point in the future, maybe under a different system or something, we might I might revisit that if they decide to. Um, really, it was just. I couldn't get players to the game. I had a couple of real loyal ones, and of course Anna would show up. And um, but I had a couple that just couldn't. Uh, and when I say couple, I mean couple people, not a couple. Um, but a couple of people that couldn't show up and kept constantly missing games. And the excuses became more and more um, difficult to believe. <laughs> It, so, it just wasn't a priority for him anymore. Yeah, it just wasn't. And uh, it's fine. Life happens. I get that. Um, so, and while it took, and I think I saw it coming, I just didn't want to admit it. And I'm okay with that. Um, I'm okay with it now. Um, I have no, I, I didn't really shed any bitter tears over it or anything like that. Um, but um, it's allowed me to focus on some other things, which is kind of nice. Uh, so I don't have to worry about that anymore. Um, I think instead what we'll be doing um, is I kept the day I kept the time of day open, and so I think what's going to happen is that we will continue to play something on those days. Um, I'm probably going to play around with some D and D next a little bit, maybe do some experimentation. Basically, just short little one shot things, nothing serious, um, and uh, see how that goes uh, with whoever manages to make it on those days. Um, shoot, there may be days where we just play, um, uh, you know, like settlers or something like that. So, um, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens down the line. So, um, I don't have any new game systems really that I'm interested. I don't have the box set for Pathfinder and I'm not really interested in spending a bunch of money on things. So I might try something um, here or there. If one of the other guys wants to run something, I'd be willing to do that as well. So we're just going to kind of play it by year. So I'm not sure how much I'll be able to participate in the future, depending on if I actually DM anything or not. Sure. So we'll see what happens. But so has, uh, has there been consideration to, um, to look for some new players that ha- are of higher interest and <coughs> see what that would me. do? Um. Yeah, there's been some interest. Um, there's another guy that plays in the group that I'm a player in. Um, he might be interested in doing some D&D Next stuff, so we'll see. It's not the game group that I'll want to have probably for when I start an official D&D Next campaign, for like when the game is officially released. But um, uh, in the meantime, it'll certainly work, and uh, we'll see what happens. So. Right on. But uh, well, so if, so if there's any uh, anybody out there listening that lives in the what Topeka area, yeah, there you go. They, yeah, Topeka Lawrence. They should uh, they should uh, send you an email, right? Yeah. Where, where should they or should they should send me an email and I'll forward it. Oh, that'll work too. At the Tome Show at gmail.com. Yeah, there you go. 
Do some filter. Yeah, I'll be your spam filter. Yeah, that's right. Excellent. <laughs> because I have such a problem with that. But um, yeah, I mean, I like the campaign setting, and I think that could have done some interesting things. I just, I, you know, obviously didn't hold the attention of some of my players, though, and they weren't dedicated to being here. And I'm okay with that. It's going to happen. I've been gaming for a long time, so I know that this is this is not anything that doesn't, uh, you know, it's it's always, you know, you don't want to see it happen, but when it does, it does. And so there you go. And I am also at a point in my life where it is difficult to hunt around for players. Um, I'm 46. (laughs) Hanging out at high schools or colleges, (laughs) asking people if they want to play in my D&D game is a little weird at my age. So, you know, you have to kind of network in other ways. And so it's... um, you know, that's it can be difficult to do that. So Listen, I think I found both my current and my previous group uh, through Meetup, actually, um, through is it meetup.com, meetup.org. Oh, yeah. OK. Was, yeah. For that. yeah. Uh, and so, I, I mean, I started stuff on there and, um, you know, some people show up and some people don't. And yeah. uh, but you end up making the friends. But you know, at the same time, my t- my gaming group is, you know, I I got a, I got a gray hair or two mm-hmm. in the group that have been playing since first edition, or or some of them a little bit later, and myself second edition, right? And then I've got some some um, people that had never played D anD D before that joined my group, right? Um, you know, and are still college kids, and and I got some with third edition experience that but that are just you know I got a bunch of my players are just now starting to graduate from college in the last few years, and. Who knows what that'll mean for our group in the future, right? Well, that's and that's a good thing. And I and like I said, I'm grooming some people for an eventual um, full campaign. In fact, I've even started writing some campaign notes for a future D and D next campaign for mm-hmm. what'll be my new setting and everything. So, um, so it's been fun working on that kind of stuff. So, but uh, that it happens, folks out there. So if you know. Don't uh, DMs out there that may be worried that, uh, oh, no, my game's falling apart. There will always be another game. And if you can't find one right away, maybe you can play in one for a while. And sometimes that's a good break is to stop DMing for a little bit and actually play in someone else's game for a while. Yeah. And I, I love I loved even without my group breaking up. I love to just take some time and sit back and play for a little while. Yeah, it helps you change perspective. You learn the other side of the what's on the other side of the screen and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's my tale. Well, I see it as as a chance for me to to provide my players a lesson in proper role playing. You see, <laughs> <laughs> good luck with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, we hope that you uh, keep get to play some stuff though. Hopefully so. Yeah. So I suppose we're gonna cut you, cut yours uh, short by. I don't. Ha- I don't seven, have anything seven else. Minutes, huh? <laughs> That's okay. I have nothing else. So Mike went over a bit, so that'll that'll help make up for it. Yeah, that'll balance it out. There you go. If I can ask a question, am I coming sure, in? Absolutely. So if it's not too painful, um, can you talk about why you think what what didn't engage with them? What what do you think they were thinking? I don't know. Um, it's hard to say with a couple of them because they're not the kind of guys that are, I honestly think part of it was, was just life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it may have been partially the game's fault, but I think a lot of them, they, it just wasn't, um, 
these guys are both in their uh, well, one's in his late thirties and the other one's in his early forties. Or maybe they're both late. Maybe he's almost forty. I can't remember, but pretty close to that cusp of hitting forty. I think they're at a, both at a time of their lives where, like two other earlier players that had dropped out of my group uh, about two years ago, they just decided that with kids and everything else, it was time to put away D and D and focus on, I guess, what real life. <laughs> so, for lack of, a, and that's just the brutal reality of it. You know, I'm not trying to. It's, there's no insults there. It's just there is, you know, the kind of player that will, you know, at some point say, I don't play this anymore. This is not me anymore or whatever. Sure. And it's not necessarily for, you know, any kind of weird reason. It's just because they, they just don't feel that it's something that they, you know, go out and do or they, they want to do other pursuits or they're spending time with their kids and it's too busy with that. And the idea of going to a game and, and, playing a dwarf or an elf somewhere doesn't suit them. So, uh, you know, I think that may be part of it. Um, I, the campaign itself, I think, yeah, I, it was a little esoteric baby. Um, and my, my wife has certainly expressed that she's got lots of opinions about that Mm -hmm. and she's not shy about it. So, (laughs) um, but, uh, the, um, the, the vague nature of, of some of the, of, maybe the goals in the game and stuff like that, uh, just to be brutally honest, um, weren't, weren't readily apparent. And so, you know, those had either had to be spelled out or they were found fumbling and they didn't feel like fumbling around. They would much rather be directed to go do something. Um, there has, I know a couple of players were hacked off when I took all their equipment away from them, (laughs) which seems like a minor reason to quit a game, but, um, cause they were going to get it back. They were on the, on the path of getting it back. So I suppose that might've been a factor. Um, uh, it's, it, it's tough to do. It, it was a good experiment. I think, um, I, I think the mist one worked out a lot better than the riven one did. I may have been a little ambitious doing it that way. Uh, I think if I return to that world, it will be only using the elements of it and then building my own story around it instead mm-hmm. of trying to translate directly, which I think was may have been part of the problem. And it's okay that that's, you know, you learn from failures and if this didn't work out, then there's, you know, I've learned from that. I know now not what, what I shouldn't probably do, uh, you know, and so that's always a good thing, but yeah, one th- one thing that can always be hard for me is kind of recognizing why the what the players are really in interested in doing when they sit down. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it's like well, sometimes I, I know that we all always talk about how we all want the same thing and we always sit down and game with friends. I know that like I spend a lot of time thinking about even though I might not be writing out adventures, I'm still thinking about my game world when the players might be thinking a lot more about how cool it'll be for this character to do these, this combination of things. Yeah. Right. And I give a rat's ass about the world. They want to let their character do something. And that was the problem with a lot of my players is that they're kind of power gamers. Yeah. And they enjoy putting together. In fact, I had one, in fact, one of the things that came out of this is that the two guys that do show up regularly at the game, but they're younger guys. They're in college age. And we all, we sat here for the entire time in the afternoon because they made the trip from Lawrence and, 
And so we were talking, and and one of the things that one of them admitted to is that he really likes to build characters. Mm -hmm. He will go through and just build characters on the character player, on the character builder, mm -hmm. just to see what it comes out like. And he doesn't play them or nothing. <laughs> he just builds. He loves building characters. So he loves finding those combinations. He loves to see how things can be built together. And that's what he likes to do, mm -hmm. um, which is great for him but doesn't necessarily mix real well with wanting to you know play in the story he tries to now don't get me wrong uh, you know but there when you're focused so much on that it's hard to necessarily integrate that into a story that's in front of you you know and i'm not sure every player um is conducive to doing that uh so it's going to be you know on the, on the one hand that there's that kind of then like for example i talked to my wife about it and she said you know, I really don't like to have to guess on what we're doing. <laughs> you know, in other words, you know, I like building my character, I like coming up with the backstory and everything. But I said, but when we start to play, I want to be, I want to have some kind of goal. Some clarity. <laughs> some clarity and goal. You know, I want to be saying we got to do this, this or this or something like that. And and that's good advice, I think. And using like the rule of three or whatever, you know, where, you know, and uh, this is one of the things I intend to do that you've done, Mike, is like at the end of the game, you know, spell it out to the players that, okay, there's like three things you could do that next time. You could mm -hmm. do this, you could do this, you could do this. And which helps guide them without leading them by the nose, but at the same time gives them some choices mm -hmm. to go different places. So those, those will be some things that I'll be trying, you know, um, in my next games as I continue. Um and uh, from there, so I've often and, I've often said that that railroad style gaming is not a wrong style of gaming; it's a different style uh, of gaming, right? It is exactly, um, and, and I and I think there are there are times when I absolutely want that style of game, and there are times that I don't. And honestly, I I feel like it's not one or the other. I don't think it's sandbox or railroad. I always I've I've said that it's I think it's a continuum continuum, right? Uh, and you're probably somewhere along that line, but sometimes people need a little bit more guidance, and and, and that's the style of game that they prefer, and that, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. No, I agree. And yeah. so, Actually, not doing that was one of the problems I had in my in my uh, Lazar Principalities game. That, you know, they got like three quarters of the way through Isle of Dread, and then never did the center part, and instead often did the whole slave lord thing. <laughs> and, you know, at the end of the whole thing, one of the one of the players is like, "But I still have two of these three idols." I'm like, "Yeah, you guys skipped the third. And she's like, "Well." <laughs> Yeah, guys <laughs> chose to do what you did. And like, so yeah, sometimes you know a focus is really useful. Mm -hmm. Well, um, and that, and when you started talking about fronts or whatever, that reminded me of an overarching thing that will be in my next campaign setting. And I, I put a blog post about this, and you may have seen me tweet about it, but it'll be, you know, related to the uh, if you're familiar with Threadfall from the Dragon Riders of Pern. There's some. There's an incident that happens in my campaign setting every 10 years, very similar to that. And so every 10 years, people are more likely to gather together and, you know, put aside to things um, because of this event going on. It may or may not dr uh, impact the characters in a certain way, depending on where they're at at the time. So, you know, it, it's, but it'll be an over encompassing event. And I'm starting the campaign three years before, the next, um, you know, event. So, right. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. 
Well, I stopped your time a long time ago, and we said you were going to be short and done. So, oh, well, that's okay. <laughs> I have no idea how long it's been, but we're at about the forty-minute <laughs> mark, so that's actually about right. Yeah. So it's, I guess it's my turn. Go on. Go for it. All right. Uh, and before I take my turn, we don't have any advertisers at the moment. But I do want to remind people you can still help the show. Go over to thetomeshow.com. Uh, click on our Amazon links. Click on our uh, D&D Classics affiliate link when you're buying your D&D Classics uh, PDFs. Uh, and we get a cut of all that. And so that's a good way to, to help us out and still go shopping for yourself. Now it's my turn. I have continued with my Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil uh, D&D Next campaign. Uh, I want to say we've only played once, maybe, since the last time we chatted. You have that giant Excel spreadsheet full of NPCs, right? Yes, 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 which which didn't come up at all because they spent the entire next session in in a dungeon. Um, They're at the moat house. And underneath the moat house is a is a the, a cult to the temple of elements or from the temple of elemental evil, uh, or rather from the elder of the tel- elder elemental eye, um, who are e- investigating an ancient primordial site to their god that's underneath this moat house. Dune. Well, but they don't. Nobody knows that yet. <laughs> don't spoil it. Um, but. It, they got trapped under there um, along with some NPCs from town because, you know, we've got to have some of them, some of the NPCs <laughs> off the spreadsheet interacted with, um, got trapped under there because while they were down there digging around, a dragon decided to make the moat house his lair. And so none of them could escape because there was a dragon sitting on top of their only exit. Uh, well, the PCs killed the dragon. Uh, that was in the previous session that I think we already talked about and that it was way too easy. Um, then they com- explored the, the upper level. They've gone down below now. They've explored mm, three-fourths maybe at this point of the lower level. Um, it of was the moat house? Of the bu- yeah, the dungeon under the moat house. Did they find Lubash? There is no Lubash. Oh, okay. That I know of. Um, not in this not, – it's been you know it's been a couple decades, right? And it's already been cleared. Oh, clear- that's true. It's already been yeah. cleared out once or twice. Oh, I keep forgetting that. Yeah, I keep forgetting you're returning, not I mean, yeah. doing it the first time. Okay. Right. Sorry. So they're down there and the cult's down there and the cults have teamed up with a bunch of gnolls. And mostly they've interacted with you know packs of gnolls here and there with, with um, one or two of the, the priests or the, the cultists. Um, it's interesting to try to – uh, on the fly, I'm sort of just reskinning things or changing a few numbers here and there on, on the the creatures in the out of the bestiary for next um, to try to make it work. You know, so I've got the gnolls, and there's two different versions of gnolls in, in the bestiary. There's the normal gnoll, and then there's the pack lord gnoll. So I've got one of the gnolls that was supposed to be sort of an NPC, and he's you know this was in third edition, right? So it was originally supposed to be a gnoll with a couple levels of ranger. So I just made it a pack lord, and and you know gave it some rangery sort of abilities, and and called it good enough. And so far, that's gone fairly well. Um, I really enjoyed. Um, I managed to actually convince them of some some to interact a little bit, right? It's not just hey, there's the next thing to kill. Um, so when they first they, like they snuck into a room, saw a, a locked box, made a bunch of noise trying to get into it, and and I thought to myself, well, the the dungeon is intended to be very dynamic. Like I'm supposed to be re- having the, the the creatures and the NPCs reacting to what the PCs are doing, um, and that's one of the things I, I want to get some help on. Um, but one of the things I said is, uh, well, they're making a bunch of noise, and in the next room over is the leader of the gnolls by himself, mm. and he's not mm. just going to sit there and wait for them to come to him. Um, so I started making some stealth checks, and he tried to sneak out to get to the to, to the rest of the pack of the gnolls. 
and and one of them notices him. He's you know he's in the back of the room, sort of tiptoeing, <laughs> trying to sneak along, all com- all comic all comic-y like, you know. Uh, and somebody's like, uh, "Hey, guy, what are you doing?" You know. <laughs> and so they <laughs> they they manage to uh, to to they, they fight him for maybe a round or half a round or whatever until he's like, "Okay, clearly he you know it was obvious to him that he was outmatched and he and immediately surrendered." And he put on some sort of story about um, you know I, oh I hate the the stupid cultists and they're horrible and. They treat us like crap, but I have to do it. Otherwise, they're gonna, they're, you know, they'll kill us all, or they'll kill the whole pack, or whatever it is, right? Um, and they're like, "Oh yeah, this." The, they were, they were buying us. Like, this is great. We can use this guy against the cult. It'll be fantastic. And and, and they're like, "Hey, do you got any buddies?" And he's like, "Yeah, I got, I, there's a whole pack of, of gnolls over here, and we all hate the cultists. Let's go over and get there and get them, and we'll we'll form this army against the cultists. It'll be great." And so he takes them over, and it just so happens to be not only is there a pack there, but there's a trap there um, that, that's triggered from across the room. So so he's like, oh yeah, stay here. I'll get, I'm gonna go disarm this trap so you guys don't get hurt, and then we'll go over and get my pack. And he he sets the trap off, uh, which is a uh, a portcullis that slams down on on top of somebody, um, and and they man it manages to to hit some people, but mostly um, people are making saves and getting out of the way, but now they're divided. Half of the party is on the wrong side of the port- portcullis, and mm. his and his pack is in the other room. So he calls him in and says, all right, now I got you, you know. And it turned in, it turned into an actually decent fight. Like I, I, I feel like we got a decent, challenging fight out of that one, and it was pretty cool. Good. Um, and and that's sort of where we've left off. Uh, I think that was that was it for that night. Um, the areas where I actually on the last time we we chatted, I had some some notes of things I wanted to ask about or to get some ideas on on how to do well and how to do better. Um. And so I thought I got some time now. I can I can bring some of those up. Now, last time we talked about all the NPCs, <laughs> the spreadsheet full of NPCs. The other issue, and, and the biggest issue I have, um, and we'll see how it plays out now that they're sort of into the adventure. Uh, and this is true that I, in some of the reviews I, I saw uh, with from when the the book first came out or when the adventure first came out is that it doesn't have a lot of strong hooks. You know, there's not a lot to convince the players to continue along on this story. It was hard enough to get them into the story, right? They ended up sort of bumbling in it for lack of anything better to do. Said, "Oh, let's go check out the moat house," you know, and that happens to be where the story is. But the story doesn't have a lot of strong hooks. You know, they, there's not a lot of motivation for them to even continue. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm trying to figure out ways to to get them to care more about what's happening. Because none of them are from the area by design. They're not supposed to be. Um, so if the cult's doing stuff, it's you know, it's not a huge deal to them. Time yeah. to kill a family member. Yeah, do what Stephen King did and blow something up. Um, do, do they have any favorite NPCs that they really like? Maybe. I mean, they might be starting to develop some from some favorite NPCs. You don't like... You know, you don't have to kill them off, but like, I mean, if they just have people that they trust, those, you know, what is those, what is their interaction with the cult? And, you know, like, kind of rather than thinking from the point of view of what quest they could find, it's kind of a matter of, well, what are, you know, how are, how is the group seeing the relation of the, you know, seeing the, the, the reaction of the people to the cult? I mean, are people getting kidnapped? Are they, you know, well, and that's part of the trick, right? Is that they're starting to gather some hints that, or they're starting to notice some hints that 
there are some people back in Hamlet that are not what they what they think they are. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there was one guy who who just flat out told them, "Oh yeah, I was just out of the moat house the other day. There's nothing there. It's empty. It's, it's bone dry. There's nothing going on." Mm-hmm. Well, they're in the moat house now. They've fought you know a dozen gnolls and a dragon. Clearly, there's something there and something going on. You know, uh, so this guy was lying, but they, I don't know that they've quite connected to the idea that there are spies. You know, all throughout. Um, Might have to make it obvious, or. Have a letter come informing them of a missing family member. Well, and, and I mean, there are some letters sort of tie, built into the adventure that they, like they find they're supposed to be finding some clues here in the moat house. And they've found some of them that there's, you know, the, the actual masters or, uh, of this cult sect or well, whatever right, is actually right. back in town. But you're saying specifically that you're having trouble getting the players to actually engage the story right. or care. Well, one of the ways to get them care is to get them emotionally involved. One of the shortcuts to getting them emotionally involved is to do something to one of the characters' oh. families. So you're, not, you're, say, you're saying, saying. Not, not just a family member, one of their family members. One of their family members. Okay. Yes. Your dad, your mom, your sister mm-hmm. um, has been kidnapped. I, <laughs> or... I, I, I did some um, some things that – you know, somewhat inspired by Fiasco, somewhat inspired by Mike over here. Uh, at the beginning of my game, I I, I, I did uh, randomized uh, relationships to sort of give them connections to each other. Mm-hmm. And in those relationships, I also tried to give them some connections to sort of the history of the the story of the adventure. You know, it was stuff like, oh, your parents adventured together in the original Temple of Elemental Evil. You know, so, so stuff like that. Oh wow, yeah, okay. Um, and so I. I've got some of those backgrounds and some of those things going on. Um, and then I also generated a, a random background thing for each of them. You know, this l- little story bit for each of them that also helps sort of inform. Because this was, this was a – we're running it as sort of a, a, a future scenario, a future setting from the Gardmore Abbey adventure, right? Right. And so I, I used some of that uh, and some of the background stuff I did with them to inform, um, inform them, them of some of the things that have changed in the setting. Um, so I, I, I'm not, I I wonder if there's not some things I could pull from that to be useful. Cause now at this point in my spreadsheet, I know exactly where each of them are from and what, what motivates them and all that kind of stuff. Right. And if you didn't want to be as specific as a family member, you like, like Mike said, blow up a town, Mm -hmm. have an army invade one of their towns and like kill a bunch of people (laughs) or, you know, of their hometown, you know, or whatever. Um, or something to that effect, or some kind of if one of them is a cleric, something some kind of devastating secret that comes to light in their church that's related to the cult somehow, or they uncover a cult figure inside the church. Mm-hmm. <gasps> Can you imagine? So you know that kind of thing, or a value if it's a fighter, maybe a value uh, a favorite uh, trainer or general is um uh you know joins the other side, or something terrible happens to him. So yeah. You got to really, you got to pull the string sometimes. Mm-hmm. My, my, as I'm thinking about it, and as you're saying this, I'm starting to wonder at what point do I pull that string though? And here's the reason why. Uh, and this is a spoiler for anybody who isn't familiar with this adventure that came out a decade ago. Um, most of the adventure doesn't take place at the Temple of Elemental Evil or in Hamlet. That's their introduction. And from there, you find out that there's a new temple, the Temple of All Consumption, in a different town on a different part of the, uh, of the setting. Right. And that's where you spend most of your time adventuring. Uh, and then you actually, at the end, come back to the Temple of All Elemental Evil. So, uh, you know, if I'm, I'm wondering, like, if I pull something, a bunch of them have connections to, um, oh, in the Nintir Vale, what's the dwarf uh, place? 
Oh, I used to know. I have the book. I can't remember or the little folio. I can't remember now what it was called. Yeah. Thunder was it? Not Thunderspire. No, it wasn't that. Gondol? No. Gondol Grim. That's Forgotten Realms. I don't remember. Uh, I, don't remember I can't remember. remember. I'd have to run downstairs. Anyway, I can't remember. There's a big dwarven place, and it's still around in, in this future <laughs> post-apocalyptic version of the Nintir Vale. Uh, and a bunch of the PCs are from there and connected to the Church of Moradin or whatever it is. Uh, and so I could sort of – and it's not too far from where I've put the Temple of All Consumption. I could use that as a threat. But then, of course, it begs the question, well, then why don't they just take care of it? They're one of the few remaining major cities in the play, <laughs> in, the, in the region. Um, why aren't they sending an army after the, the temple? Um, you know, and, and I can't bring you – know, do I, do I bring that up now and then lead them to this new location before they finished up with Hamlet? You know, they, need to, they need to wrap that up as, as well. One of the arguments I've always used as far as players that would go so far, if they're not going – if they're deliberately being difficult and not playing along and, and say, well, why can't so-and-so just take care of this, you know, and uh, why can't this powerful NPC just do it? I always almost always use the argument like if it was to be that overt, the loss of civilian life would be so terrible, no one wants to do it. That's why they want to send in a small party to try to get it taken care of. That's my flat answer. Yeah. I, I use that a lot, and it's only – well, a lot when I have the opportunity because that's the only way really to get around that plot hole is sure. because – Well, you I, know, and I could, I could always create some other conflict, and they're busy dealing with that or whatever. My, wait, that's another way, yeah. Right. The, 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 the larger concern is if I pull that string, hey, they – you know, your – is it – no, it's not Fallcrest. That's the, the original human place. Uh, but your, your hometown needs your help doing this. But they haven't finished the plot in Hamlet, you know. Mm. And so I don't want to. I don't want to tie them into the story in Hamlet, and then have them leave. I don't want to tie them into the other place until they finish Hamlet, which could still be a couple sessions away. So well, I, you my, might my, have to. My trick. I, mean, I might have yeah. to hold hold back on it, because you know, right now at least they've figured they've start they're starting to figure out some of the stuff in Hamlet. So maybe they'll they'll be fine. Um, it, it, and it's not a matter necessarily of them figuring it out. It's a matter of getting them to care. Because it's it's not so far, it's not their story, and I need to figure out figure out a way to make it their story. Right? Is there, is there an opportunity to kind of retro, uh, you know, go retro their backgrounds so that they can have ties in their character that have so far been not discussed by the players or by you, but doesn't necessarily make them not true. What sort of backgrounds? Because I mean, a lot of it is, is still very, very vague, and there's, there. I mean, part of that randomized background thing is that you know you'll fill in the details and make 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 that up as you go along, and that's part of the fun of it, right? Yeah, and, right. And it could be like, well, that old uncle of yours didn't he have an artifact that had been lost down here centuries ago, well, or, or decades ago, or you know, what if one of the one of the characters is secretly going after vengeance for a slain a slain relative or hmm. other other kinds of things that so far haven't been discussed have always been true yeah okay i i can see doing some of that because i mean if nothing else you know i've established that some of their their family members had been been at the temple of elemental evil before you know Um, it wouldn't be hard to say that one of them went missing while they were there and and left some some family heirloom behind or something yeah well another way oh, oh go ahead mike i'm sorry it could be the kind of thing they come up with Right, like now, if they have a little bit of feeling of the setting, it doesn't have to be something that you bring up. It could be a something that the two of you discuss together. Like, 
you know, have you had a relative who had some experience here? And they go, yeah, it was an uncle. Okay, what was your, you know, you got to work together so that they've created it for their character, but it's based on the setting, and they're sort of developing their own quests. Yes. That make any sense? Yes, and and I'm I'm honestly kind of contemplating just creating five things. You know, one being like relative who left something behind. Um, creating five of them and then letting them choose. Hey, every, somebody needs to take each one of those. Who wants it? And let's let's figure it out and detail it out. Another sort of randomized thing, adding to their character like we've already done, but now going a little more depth in depth and, and tying them to the to the specifics of the adventure. One of the uh, not to go back to Dungeon World again, but one of the interesting things about Dungeon World, Dave Chalker did this in the game that he ran for me and then I did it for the, the group I ran and planned to do it again as you start off by asking these questions and they're kind of leading questions that'll be like which one of your relatives was secretly a member of the cult mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, or you know what priceless heirloom did you lose that you're hunting down and it and it it's not quite you know it's it's focused but it's got enough option that they can. Yeah. And I feel like, well, I feel like I can even do that and tie it to the backgrounds I've already given them. You know, like one of them uh, was, is, is a reformed former member of the cult. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I could absolutely come up with some leading questions. So, you know, tell me about an experience that you had with this master Dunrat guy when you were in the cult, who was one of the leaders. You know, and give them some some of that, but at the same time, I'm feeding them some information about who's important, where the adventure is going. Right, right. Okay, I, I I like that idea. I think I'm gonna chew on that in my head, and we got a game on Saturday, so I can see if I can implement that by then. Very cool. Well, that leaves me with two and a half minutes. Anything else you guys want to hear about my game? Uh, how are you? How are you dealing with this spreadsheet full of 75 NPCs? I haven't had to. Um, since we talked, I haven't had to do anything with it because they've been in the dungeon. Uh-huh. Um, and and it, down there as well, like all the cultists have names. Mm-hmm. Um, but none of them, I mean, but they're still just a second level cleric that gets killed with this pack of gnolls. So um, it hasn't been hugely important, although having those names is, is kind of cool and useful because I can, you know, hey, Grin, what do we do? What do we do? You know, instead of just making up bad <laughs> conversation on my fly, on the fly during combat. Have you um, have you had the uh, bad guys uh, give a final note when they die? Have you done that yet? Uh, every you mean like uh, uh, something they say as they die? Yeah, I, I've had a, a little bit of that, but not very much. I I loved doing that when I was um, I did it the most in um, uh, Shadowfell. Uh, no, no, um, keep on the Shadowfell, and they would fight goblins. And if they killed a goblin, the goblin would say stuff like, you dick, and then die. <laughs> or, you suck. That's cool. Did I tell you how I use story cubes for something like that? <clears throat> Have you guys seen story cubes at all? Oh, no. I, I've got both. I've got story and the um, – got a couple of those, Your actually. Cubes. They're yeah. just dice with weird pictures on them. Hmm. And it's for like kids to roll and come up with stories. But what I did is I'd hand them out to the group. And then whenever they kill somebody, I'd have them roll those and describe like what that, that person they just killed or that knoll they just killed a little bit of history about them. 
And uh, it was always funny. Like, oh, he was a fisherman before he was, you know, captured <laughs> by this. And, you know, and the funny thing is they actually came up with a, a cohesive story for all of the guys that they fought. Like they all. <laughs> oh, nice. First mountain that they'd all been taken to when they came out, they were all evil. And I was like, hey, that's pretty cool. that's a whole adventure on its own. All right, so I just remembered that there's still another whole other issue that I wanted to bring up, and I'm down to 20 seconds to, to cover it. Better whip it out. I'm going to – well, careful there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the adventure is designed specifically to try to be very dynamic. You're, as a DM, you're given advice on doing things to change the adventure, move the, move the creatures around and have them do things that aren't in the adventure to that, – that would be the smartest thing for the, them to do tactically, uh, you know, intelligently, logically, that sort of stuff. Um, one of the things in that they give advice on in the moat house is that once you've gotten – once the PCs have taken out the, the dragon, if they then leave the moat house, um, there's no reason that the cultists will stay. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, at the end of my last adventure – they left the moat house and went to back to Hamlet for, to rest for, for a bit mm. because that last fight was, was a tough one for him. Uh, now I got to figure out, well, who, who's left behind? Why are they left behind? And where did everybody else go? Because part of the being dynamic, isn't that just that this threat goes away? It's supposed to just move and be somewhere else, you know, are, but are they going to be back in town where people, where they're trying to be stealthy? Well, they don't really need more people. That doesn't help them be stealthy. Are they going to go back to the temple of all consumption? Maybe, although they're just a drop in the bucket there because there's you know hundreds of creatures there. Mm-hmm. So I'm not ent- entirely sure what to do with them. And some of them, like one of them is down in this pit with this primordial temple to, to Therizdun, um, who's just bug nutty. I don't imagine him leaving. So right. I, you know, he'll Ooh. probably still be there. Oh, great idea. The surviving cult. They're not dragon cultists, right? No. They're cultists of Therizdun. Okay. Well, However, they don't know it. They're cultists of the uh, Elder Elemental Eye. Well, right, 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 right. Yeah, that's right. So – what if they go up, they find this dead dragon, the, his treasure's probably gone, but they've got this dead dragon. What if they skin the dragon, make armor for themselves, and become an elite fighting force? <laughs> that could work. And go and seek out, I mean, after a while, they go back and see, and they just sort of lay low, but they, you know, they work this armor and they get it all built, and that'll take a little time. Mm-hmm. And then the players can later encounter these cultists that they left alive, except now they're like this commando force. And they're wearing this dragon. blue, blue dragon. Like when the PCs come back to, to the, to the moat house, they, they find the dragon's body still there, but it's been skinned a lot or it's been skinned, it's, you know, it's been skinned. <laughs> well, that's really below. weird. What's what happened there? And then they go down, down below and everything's cleared out. And nobody's there anymore. Right. Except, except the undead yeah. and the crazy guy. And that, that all the cultists come back with, dragon skin armor mm-hmm. exactly i think that would be really cool that would be good yeah i think i think this is where it's going to be helpful to me once a month to get together and say okay this is what's going on how do i change it to make it more dynamic right awesome yeah, no, be thinking from the point of view of the cultists like what are they trying to do absolutely and that's that's hard for me to do and i know that um you guys have both uh, demonstrated some success in that and, and i've done it myself as well but i always find your stuff to be cooler than mine so this will help us bounce ideas and help me come up with some some things to do sure awesome awesome well, let's call it there. We're at one hour and two minutes. Perfect. Very well, good. Almost three Excellent. minutes. All right. Well, uh, then I guess that's the end. Uh, everybody say goodbye. Bye-bye. Until next month. 